Morning, church. How are you? How many of you just lied? Come on. I asked him in the first service, and one guy said he was perfect, and I had the usher escort him out of here. Because <laughs> if you're perfect, you don't, why are you here? You're, you're, you don't need what I'm going to say this morning. So he kicked him out. And, um, but I, I am excited about the message this morning, not because it's an easy message, not because it's a fun message, but be, because I'm excited about what would happen if we put it into practice. I'm excited about the freedom that we might experience in our own lives and our relationship with God and others if we actually lived out the message this morning, if, if we weren't just hearers of the word, but if we were actually doers of the word. I'm excited about this whole series, which we began last week, a series called Enemies of the Heart. If you weren't here last week, I forgive you. It's okay. Um, but we began with a, a simple truth. And many of you are on youth retreat. Welcome back, guys. Good to have you here. Uh, we began last week with a, a simple truth as we laid a foundation that we're going to build on over these weeks. And the simple truth was uh, something that Solomon had discovered, and he shared it in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, when he says, the heart is the wellspring of life, which I think is one way of saying that everything you do ultimately flows from your heart. All of your words, all of your actions flow ultimately from your heart. This, in fact, is what Jesus says many times in many different ways. We looked at it last week when we discovered that Jesus said, none of us have behavior problems. We have heart problems that manifests itself outwardly, but the problem is inward. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees that love to focus on the outward and, like, and love to make uh, more and more rules to modify people's behavior. Jesus said, guys, you don't get it. He said, you're cleaning the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Instead, first clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside will also be clean. Clean the inside, uh, the outside will be clean as well. So essentially, Jesus was saying, as we looked at last week, that our problem is our heart. Hearts can be defective. The good news is, of course, that God changes our hearts. God gives us a new root, which produces new fruit. Um, and and that's, that's, this is the essence of the Christian faith. This is the gospel of Jesus. Not that God came in the form of Jesus to give us better rules or to show us how to keep the rules he'd already given, but he came to do what we couldn't do, be good completely, die on the cross for our sin so that by repenting of our sins and just trusting what Jesus had done for us, that God might do a supernatural work within our heart, that there may be a new birth by his Holy Spirit, that our heart would actually be transformed, and that would work itself outwardly in new actions, new behaviors, new fruit. So this is the offer of God in the gospel, a changed heart. And that, uh, that simple truth came with a simple command. The heart is the wellspring of life, so above all else, guard your heart. And this is what we're doing over these few weeks. We're, we're, we're taking an honest look at our hearts, I hope, and we're going to look at a few common emotions that can easily embed themselves, get lodged in our spiritual veins and arteries, and harm, hinder, ultimately destroy our relationship with God, with others, 
with ourselves. And so we're looking at some of these harmful emotions and we're taking the gospel, which is this all-purpose tool that if we work it out in all areas of our life, we'll, be, we'll bring freedom in these different areas and overcome these problems. And so even though God gives us a new heart, we have a part. This is what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 2 and he said, so continue to work out your salvation. Work it out. Don't work for your salvation, but take the salvation God has freely given you and work it. Massage it into all the areas of your heart. All of your relationships, all of your issues. And he said, and, and uh, con- uh, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. So as you work, God is working in you um, to help you. Uh, so we're going to look at a few of these emotions this morning. We're going to look at guilt. And with all of these emotions, uh, we're, we're going to find that um, really you can restate it as a, a, some sort of debt. You know what debt is, right? How many of you really know what debt is? You wish you didn't, but you do. And there's nothing you can do about it. And what do you know? You know what the Bible says. You know that the debtor is slave to the lender. Every time, every, that time of the month when you've got to pay your mortgage, you know this. You are slave to the lender. And, and so debt creates an imbalanced relationship. And all these emotions are some form of debt. Somebody owes somebody something. And that's where the problem lies. Somebody owes somebody something. And we certainly think this way and talk this way with regards to debt, don't we? We say, I owe her an right. Maybe you've never had to give an apology to anybody. I, I owe her an apology. That's where I was going with that. You guys, geez. Can't you read my mind? For goodness sakes, what's wrong with you? I owe her an apology. Right? You need to, you really need to, you really need to pay back what you did there. You need to pay her back. And we talk about guilt uh, in terms of debt because what is guilt? Guilt is wronging somebody and in wronging somebody taking something from them either taking something that belongs to them or not giving something that should be theirs is rightfully theirs so each wrong that we do against God or against others is an act of theft ultimately stealing somebody's dignity with your words stealing somebody's security Stealing somebody's peace with your actions. You are a debtor when you wrong somebody. And you know what debt feels like. You know what guilt feels like. How many of you know what guilt feels like? You know? You know what I'm talking about. Come on now. That heaviness in your heart, it actually feels like a brick you're carrying inside. David, I mean, David had done some bad stuff. David knew guilt. He describes it in his terms in in Psalm uh, 32 verses 3 and 4 in talking about this, this sin that he was keeping inside. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. So he talks about this, this weight, this heaviness that guilt produced in his heart. And I think you know what that 
feels like, but some of you are going to go, isn't that good? Like, aren't Christians supposed to feel guilt? Isn't that what we're in the business of? Guilt? I mean, certainly a lot of people out there think that we're in the business of guilt. We got to keep the guilt coming. That's how we sustain ourselves, right? Uh, Aren't we in the business of guilt? Shouldn't you feel that? I mean, you know people that should feel guilt and they don't feel guilt. You wish they felt guilt, but they don't. Uh, Should Christians feel guilt? Is that a good thing? The answer is yes and no. The answer is yes, guilt is good in that you cannot be a Christian if you do not feel guilt. Unless you feel the conviction of your sin, your need of forgiveness of God, because your lack of goodness, I mean, you can't be a Christian. That's the one prerequisite, the one. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? How do you enter the kingdom of heaven? You can't unless you realize you are poor in spirit. You lack righteousness of your own. You are guilty. So in that sense, yes, it's necessary. The problem, though, is unresolved guilt. And I want to take some time this morning to talk about the destructive nature of unresolved guilt. Because it does a lot of harm to our inner being. It does a lot of harm to our relationship with God and our relationship with others. There's only two ways to resolve guilt. Because there's only two ways to resolve debt. What are they? Have your debt canceled? Some of you praying for that. You're praying hard. Or pay it back. You got two options. Either have your debt canceled or you pay it back. That's how you resolve debt. That's how you resolve guilt. Um, if, that's, if that's the case then, then unresolved guilt, what we might be carrying within us, happens for one of two reasons. It happens, one, because... Um, we have refused to be released from debt. We've been refused. Uh, we have refused to be released from debt that has been forgiven, or maybe you've refused to make restitution for it. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. So we're going to look at these two reasons and two proper responses to, to resolve this, uh, this destructive uh, emotion within us. Now, some of you here, I don't know who you are. You know who you are. Uh, Some of you here have had your debt canceled by God. Like, it's been written off. Even those really bad things. And yet you refuse to be released from that. There's some of you here who are carrying, you've confessed it. You, you, you know the Bible verses, right? You know Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. He has forgiven us our sins, taking away the legal indebtedness that condemned us, nailing it to the cross, taking away our indebtedness. 1 John 1, 9, you maybe memorized that. might have been one of the first verses you memorized. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know it. You've maybe memorized it. Psalm 103, as far as the, as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our sin from us. I mean, you know that. You've heard that. And yet still you have a hard time believing that. Why is that? I wonder if, if, if it's because we project our experience and ourselves onto God. I think we, we, we very often do this. We know our experience. We know the experience of others. And we project that experience onto God. You know, I, I, I forgive, but, but have I really forgiven? I forgive. I say I forgive you. I said, don't worry about it. We're all good. But then what do I do? 
Every once in a while, I'm, I'm keeping track, record of wrongs. Every once in a while, I might remind you, needle, but remember when I want something from you? Remember what you did? I might withhold myself from you. I might still find little ways to kind of punish you or make you feel guilty. You ever done this? Has your spouse ever done this? Oh, wow, okay, good, good group. Um, so we wonder, hey, we wonder if God's like us. Maybe God, we wonder if he looks, because that's all we know. We wonder if God looks down and God says, yeah, I'll forgive you because you reminded me of 1 John 1, 9. And you're right, I said it, I can't take it back. I'm legally obligated to forgive your sin, but I don't want to. I don't like it, but I have to. As if God, in his forgiveness of us, in giving us his grace, in canceling our debt, somehow is doing something that he doesn't really desire to do. As, he have, as if he has some sort of divided heart, divided mind like we often do. But Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, not a man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God is not a man. Any amens? God isn't like a man. All you women, amen. <laughs> Preach it. Okay, this is the thing. What God is, God is completely. What God does, he does completely. Not half, not kind of, not today. What he is, he does completely. I heard the story of a, a priest who uh, found out that one of the parishioners in his church was receiving visions from Jesus, and he was a little skeptical. And so he went to the woman, and she confirmed that she was having the occasional uh, vision from, from Jesus where he would speak to her. And he said, okay, well, I'll tell you what. If this is true, next time uh, you, you get one of these visions, I want you to ask Jesus, what was the last sin I confessed? Okay. So a little while later, he hears that she's been uh, receiving more visions. She come, or He comes to her, and, and sure enough, she's uh, had a vision from Christ. And he says, well, did you put the question to him. Did you ask him what was the last sin that I confessed? And she said, yes, I did that. And what was his answer? And she said, Jesus said, I don't remember. I don't remember. You believe that? You know, it says in Isaiah, not only does he forgive our sin, but he forgets it to remember it no more. There is no more any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet some people here are living right now self-condemned. I know it. I don't know who you are, but you know. Maybe your spouse knows. You're living self-condemned. God has already, you've confessed it. You've been remorseful. And God has forgiven you and you haven't forgiven yourself. You have not released the debt that, that God has already removed from you. And that, you know what, that sounds like a small thing, but it's not. That impacts your relationship with God in your life in more, in more ways than you could ever know. Uh, it says in Hebrews chapter 10, let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith um, because we have had a guilty conscience cleansed by God. Right? If you have a guilty conscience, you don't, you don't draw near to the person you owe debt to. Like that guy that owes you 50 bucks. He just doesn't come around anymore. What happened to Jim? Haven't seen Jim in a while. Jim owes you money, right? When you see Jim, when he, when he catches your eye there at the other side of the grocery store, he takes a different aisle. 
He goes around you, right? Because Jim owes you money. And when you owe somebody something, you, you don't draw near. You don't come quickly. When we, have, when we haven't released that from ourselves, forgiven ourselves, that, that keeps us from coming to God, enjoying God, praying, reading his scripture, praising God, causes us to hide. It also robs, it also robs you of, of confidence. You, you feel like you, you maybe have to do work to make up, to earn God's approval, to stay in his graces, to earn his graces. And it robs you of the confidence of your standing with God. It makes you anxious. Because when that, when that hard thing comes into your life, you know, that financial blow, you know, the, the transmission goes on the van, and you go, why God? And then you go, oh, maybe it's because of that thing. Are you punishing me, God? We're so quick to do that. Maybe, maybe, maybe God is unhappy. Maybe, maybe he's punishing me for that. And, and the mind starts to do all these gymnastics. What if? If we live self-condemned, if we will not release ourselves from the debt that God has released us from, then we, we, we wonder whether we're, we're, we're useful to God. We're, we're less apt to serve. Because... We're not sure God really wants us. We're not really sure God can do anything with us. We're maybe damaged goods. Okay, I'll welcome you into the family. You're kind of damaged goods. We'll put you up on the shelf. Hey, those skeletons from the past, yeah, I've forgiven those, but please lock them in the closet out of sight. But listen to what Paul says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15 and 16. He says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Why is he the worst? Well, because he murdered people. Like Paul was a murderer. Any murderers here? Please don't put up your hand if you are. That would probably freak everybody out. But if you are, that's okay. You're welcome here. Just don't murder anybody else here. Like Paul was literally a murderer. So he says, I am the worst. And then he goes on. So what does that mean? But for that very reason, I was shown mercy by God so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience and is as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you hear what he's saying? It's not that God showed him mercy and revealed himself to him and brought him into the fold and used him in powerful ways in spite of his past, in spite of those skeletons. It was for that very reason. It was because of. You think your past disqualifies you from usefulness in the future? Absolutely not. What this means is it's exactly the opposite. Paul said, All that stuff, he says, listen, I I, I boast in my weakness, not because I'm happy about what I did, but because it shows others the immensity of God's grace. So I don't hide what I did. I use it now. I use it as an example to others who are now where I was, that they might know the power of God and the grace of God for them. 
So your past doesn't disqualify you from being used by God. It, it equips you in some sort of way. But do you think about it that way? Or do you kind of hide that stuff there? You know, that divorce, that addiction, problem with your kids. Let's just tuck that away. All that stuff doesn't disqualify you. It equips you by God to be used of him. So the question for you is, is there something you've buried out of guilt that God doesn't want you to bury? He wants you to use. He wants you to use. But if you're living self-condemned, you're never going to use it. You're never going to use it. But God wants you to use it. For the sake of others. For their good. To display the glory of God. So some of you here this morning, you're, you're living, you're living self-condemned. You haven't really forgiven yourself, even though God has forgiven you. How dare you? I guess that's what I would say to you. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Like really? The God of the universe. has poured out his grace into our lives. And he says, as far as the east is from the west, to be remembered no more. Who do we think we are? We need to say to our, if this is you, you need to say to yourself in that area, you say, I will not belittle the blood of Jesus Christ. I will not belittle the grace of God by not forgiving myself, by clinging to this thing. I will not do it. I will not condemn myself. Maybe, so that's some of you, okay? But, but maybe you've, um, you've confessed your wrongs to God. You, you've knelt down at your bedside, folded your hands, told God you were sorry, and got up and moved on, but you still feel the weight of, you still feel that guilt, that's that, what, what Paul or uh, what David was talking about. You still feel that things aren't right. You're not really not free of the grip of that. And I want to suggest maybe it's because you have not tried to make it right with the person that you have wronged. You know what? As evangelical Christians, we have this thing. We are bad at this. We look at those Catholics. If you're Catholic here, love you. Glad you're here. I don't even know if Catholics do this so much anymore. You know, go to that priest in that box and tell him what you did. And then he tells Jesus and, you know, he gives you Jesus' forgiveness. Um, we go, you don't need to do that. You just go straight, to, you go straight to Jesus. It's a lot easier. As if that was all. And we have, that's a problem. I, mean, I, I, th- I think this is, that, 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 that's it. Case closed, deal done, good, move on. I met a guy like this in, in Blind River. By the way, this is why pastors move churches every so often. It's because we have all these juicy story to tell, stories to tell about you, but we can't tell them because it's about you. So we actually have to go to a different church. You wouldn't believe the people in Stonewall. Let me, there was this guy. So now I've got, I got these situations from Blind River to talk about, and I hope they don't see videos online and write me nasty letters or anything. But... Um, there was a guy, in fact, he wasn't even a part of our church. He was from a different church. But he had, he had done something, a public sin that was, it was scandalous. And um, brought disrepute to him, to his wife, to the church. And he, he left the church because of it. 
years later, he kind of, kind of, he kind of come to grips in himself with what he had done. You know, he'd worked it out with God. Now he had come to church, and he wanted to just jump back into the flow of things. Right? It's all good between me and God. I know what I did was wrong. I've, I, I know First John one nine. If you confess your sins, he's faithful. And just I did that. God's forgiven me. And he wanted to get involved in something. And I said, I said, I think, I think, sir, I use his name, but I'll say, sir. Um, I, I, I think you need to make a public confession. You, you're, you, you, you had a public sin. You wronged people, and I think you need to make it right. Whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. I've already, I've already confessed to Jesus, thank you very much. I don't need to do that. Meanwhile, he's walking in church with all these relationships where there's division because he has not sought to make it right to the people he wronged. But he just wants to keep going as if everything is okay because he told Jesus. That's not what the Bible describes confession to be. Look what it says in, in Numbers. Anyway, he, he said adios. That's how the story ends. He said, I don't need this. I'm, I'm out of here. But um, but look what it says in Numbers chapter 5. This is, this is a description of biblical confession. Numbers 5 verses 6 and 7. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty. So you've sinned against others, and in doing so, you've sinned against God. And, uh, and that person must confess the sin they have committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they have done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it to the person they wronged. He said, don't go to the temple and say sorry to God, or don't only do that. You need to then go to the person you wronged and add whatever it was. If you can add 20% to it, add 20% to it. And make it right with that person. That's biblical confession. Confession was a means to restitution. Without restitution, there isn't reconciliation. We see this in um, a story that probably most of you know well. Luke chapter 19 about a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, the Lord he wanted to see. You can sing the rest. No, I won't do that. Um, the, the guy's name was Zacchaeus. Right? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collector, that was, that was a scandalous job to have. Why? Because you had become a tool of the oppressor. You were, a, you were a part of the system that was oppressing your own family and your own people. You were a traitor. To be a tax collector was a, the greatest insult. This man was a traitor. He was a thief because that's what tax collectors did. They took way more than the, the amount of taxes and they padded their pockets. He was a traitor and he was a thief. He knew it. Everybody else knew it. So he's in the sycamore tree wanting to see Jesus. Jesus comes, he looks at him, and he does something that nobody else, he had a sort of compassion that nobody else had on him. He looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. Now, nobody called him Zacchaeus. They called him sinner or they called him tax collector. He looks at the man and he calls him by his name. Okay? This is an act of compassion. And not only does he call him by his name, but he eats with him. He says, I must go to your house. Pastors, we do this sometime. I need to come to your house and eat with you. Eat your food. <laughs> We're following the footsteps of Jesus. He did it. He did it. Okay? It's biblically sanctioned. 
He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I must go eat at your house. We're not really sure what happened. It was a closed door meeting. But some, Jesus said something, did something, and something changed. Because after that meeting, when the door opened, in Luke chapter 19, verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What is he doing? He's doing Numbers chapter 5. He's doing what was required of everybody to properly confess, according to God. Except he's being more generous. He wasn't adding 20%, 400%. I mean, this was a man whose heart had been gripped by the grace of God in meeting Jesus. And the overflow of that grace was the desire to make things right with those he had wronged. It was restitution. And so what does Jesus say? Whoa, calm down, bucko. You don't need to do that. Come on now. We had a little thing. We had a little talk. You asked for my apology. I said I, 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 said I forgave you. That's good. No, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. I know his heart has been changed by the grace of God. Why? Because he's willing to go, as unpleasant as it is, he's willing to go and make it right with those he wronged. That's true confession. That's what happens when the grace of God grips somebody's heart. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, he says, hey, if you're bringing your sacrifice to the church, to the temple... And as you're about to prepare your sacrifice, you remember that that person has something against you. You wrong them. He says, you stop right now. You, 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 you tie up your goat and you go and you find that person. You make it right. And then you come back and you offer your sacrifice. Jesus is saying, you're con confessing your sin against another person to God is no substitute for confessing it to that person for making it right with that person that you have wronged. It is no substitute. And here we are in church this morning, bringing our sacrifices of praise to God. So let me ask you, is there a weight of guilt in your heart? I mean, even as I'm talking here, is there something? You know what it is. There's that thing. Maybe it happened a long time ago. Is there a guilt trip you need to take? And if anybody wants to get up right now and walk out the door, I, wouldn't, I won't take offense. Is there a guilt trip you need to take? Is there a, a, a phone call that you've been delaying? Is there a, an awkward meeting you've been avoiding? Is there a long overdue letter um, that you need to write in order to make it right? Why do we delay? It's because it's unpleasant, isn't it? It's a lot easier just to sit at my bedside and, and ask God's forgiveness. It's a lot harder to go to that person and face them and do what I need to do to make it right. That's unpleasant. And maybe it even has consequences, maybe even legal consequences. A, 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 an amazing story happened a few weeks ago in one of our sister churches in northwestern Ontario. Lauren was telling me. They were starting a prayer meeting 
when three rowdy guys broke into their church, broke into their prayer meeting. And he said, okay, well, maybe we should just pray for these guys. So they broke up into three groups and they surrounded each of the guys and, and the one guy with the pastor started to sob and said, I need to change my life. I hate what I've done. And it came out as the pastor questioned him that he had murdered a man. Well, what should we do about it? I think I need to confess, the man said. Okay. So the pastor called the detachment and said, I'm bringing in a man who's murdered someone and he wants to, he wants to confess. And so he brought him to the, the police station and as they were waiting there to be received, the man was getting cold feet and, and he said to the pastor, I think I should run. I need to run. I need to get out of here. And the pastor said, no, you said you wanted to change your life. This is the first step towards life change. Do you want to change your life? And the man said, yes, I do. And so he stayed. And when the police officer came to arrest him and get his identity, he ended up being a, he was on a Canada-wide arrest warrant, one of the 10 most wanted in Canada. He did a hard thing. Confessing involved accepting the consequences, but it was a, it's a necessary step towards change. It's a necessary step to freedom because freedom comes when you have nothing to hide. Freedom lies on the other side of confession, of public confession. So is there a guilt trip you need to take? Maybe it's something that happened a long time ago. You think, ah, it's a long time ago. You know, statutory limitations. What is that, seven years? Ah, yeah. But you haven't forgotten. And maybe that person hasn't forgotten. And it's still lodged in here somewhere. Grade seven. I was a bit of a bully at times. Alicia. I pestered Alicia. Everybody pestered Alicia. The teacher would leave the room. We'd, we'd hurl insults at her. We'd throw stuff at her make her cry. It was very common that she would end up crying in the middle of class and call her mom and her mom would have to pick her up in the middle of the day. This was grade seven. I never forgot this. It, it came to my mind every now and again, especially when I saw her name on Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Dredging up the past. And I would see it there every so often and I, I felt that conviction. You need to make this right. You need to make this right. Yeah, it was grade seven, but you need to make it right. And so finally, I, I, I uh, wrote an apology message and sent it to her. She lives in England now. And she has a family. But she had a very nice response about how helpful it is to receive it, how freeing it is when someone comes and wants to make it right and can bring some degree of closure to something. Maybe you're on the other side of that. Someone has wronged you. And if they would come, it would be so helpful for you to heal if they might just come and own it and do what they can to make it right. Uh, a couple of years ago, you ever heard of pyramid schemes? Who would fall for something like that? What sort of idiot would fall for a pyramid scheme? <laughs> All right, I had this family friend. I had this family friend, and he had this great deal. He had made a bunch of money, great return. And so I wanted in. I was a poor college student. I only had 1000 bucks. I gave him my 1000 bucks. Two weeks later, it all collapses. He has my 1000 bucks. Oh, was I angry. He was, he, was ups, like he was very remorseful. He called me, and he apologized. He let me know what had happened, but he still had my 1000 bucks. He probably spent my 1000 bucks. 
So a year, a couple of years go by, and I've not forgotten this, and it's still something that was lodged in my heart, a bit of bitterness about this. I told him I'd forgiven him, but I probably wasn't really truthful. I'd seen him a few times, and every time I'd clench my teeth, try to be nice. A couple of years ago, he called, and he said, we're on our way through Blind River, coming from Alberta. I'd like to stop and have coffee, catch up. Sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Come by. Mm. I pounded the phone down. and All right, put on your happy face, Rusty. Anyway, so the guy comes, and we have an all right time, and he's ready to go, and he comes, and he comes to give me a hug, to embrace me as we're about to part. And as we do that, he has a roll of $100 bills, puts it in my pocket, walks away. I'll tell you what happened. I got free, and he got free. We both walked away free. Maybe you're holding the peace for somebody else. It sets them free, heals their heart. I don't know. Is there a guilt trip you need to take? Maybe it's not even a sin that anybody knows anything about. It's just something that you've been dealing with, harboring in your own heart, talking to God about, but no one else knows. And it's still, and, it, and, it's, and it's weighing on you, and you've confessed it to God once, twice, five times, ten times. You're resolved to never do it again, but that doesn't seem to work. And it won't work. It won't work. You'll never break a harmful habit without public confession. And I don't mean coming up here and telling the church. I mean, bringing a secret into the light. Guilt, secrecy is the oxygen to guilt. When you bring it into the light, when you bring the secret into the light, it severs the power of the guilt, of the sin. You'll never break a harmful habit without public confession. So there, there, there's, there's lots of men here, older men, middle-aged men, younger men, teenagers. Some of you in here have a problem with pornography. I don't know who you are, but you do. Um, and and you, don't, you don't like it? And you've confessed it to God and you've tried harder and it just doesn't work. And I want to tell you, if it's you, it won't work. It won't. You need, to, you, you need to bring it out to the light and you need to confess it. That alone will begin to sever the root of the sin and the guilt. And so you know where my office is. Maybe you've got a friend, close friend. But you need to bring it out into the light because you will, it will only fester and get worse. Maybe, maybe you're a woman here who's, you're, you're a working woman and, and things aren't so great in, in the marriage, at home, and, and you're starting to build little by little an emotional connection to someone who's not your husband. Maybe, maybe not. But you're, you're scared about that and you don't want to do that, but you cannot, you have no power against it. James 5.16, James says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. You know how healing happens, begins to happen? When you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That's when change begins. That's when change begins. That's when healing begins. I remember that in Rwanda. I preached, just in closing here, I preached in, a few years ago in Rwanda. They told me uh, in Africa, if they find out you're a pastor, they'll call you to preach on the spot. So I, I prepared a sermon ahead of time. And I was called to preach on the spot. What, what, what do you say to people that are missing limbs because of a genocide? 
What do, you say? what do I have to say? I just preach from Ephesians chapter 2 how when, when, when God reconciles us to, to himself through Jesus, he gives us the ability to reconcile with one another. In our enemies. And as I was closing the message, a guy, I was going to say a black guy, but they're all black. Just, <laughs> there. I don't know why that came to my head. It's a, not, a, not a relevant fact, but this, this, man, this man came to the front and he started to sob and he grabbed the mic and he started to confess how he had been beating his wife and neglecting his wife and abandoning his wife, going days, weeks away from his wife. And the Lord had convicted his heart and he came up and he shared that in front of the whole church. And then his wife slowly walked up and she started to weep too. And they forgave one another and they embraced. And I don't know what happened from there, but I'm pretty sure that was the beginning of change. That was the beginning of healing you will never break a harmful habit without bringing it into the light with a public confession. And that's hard because there's consequences. It's embarrassing, but the consequences of confession are far, far better than the consequences of concealment. There is freedom on the other side. So my question for you is, is there anything lodged in your heart today? Is there any guilt lodged in your heart, maybe God's been stirring in you and you know what that thing is. My, I guess my word for you is don't delay. Make restitution. Bring it up from the darkness into the light. For as David says in Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Blessed we, we, we make that like one of these spiritual terms, like, oh, I'm, I'm so angry and upset. I've got all these problems and I'm grouchy, but at least I'm blessed. No, we, we over-spiritualize that word. It means happy. It means happy. Happy is the one who overcomes their guilt with confession. For they are on the path to freedom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came down to earth full of grace and truth. And in you, we receive grace upon grace upon grace. Forgive us, Father, when we have not had the power, believed in the greatness of your grace, that it was powerful enough and large enough to wipe clean all of our sin, all of our past, even the worst stuff, Lord. Father, if there's anyone in here that's clinging on to stuff, that's punishing their, themselves against something uh, that Jesus was punished for, then I just pray, Father, that um, you would help them to let go and to embrace grace. And Father, if there's anyone here who has some guilt lodged in their heart, they've, they've wronged, Somebody or there's something in the secret that needs to come out to the light, that needs to be confessed, any wrong that needs to be righted. I just pray, Father, that by the power of your spirit, you would move within us and give us the strength, the confidence, and the trust in you to do what we need to do so that we might be free. In Jesus' name, amen.